Good morning, good morning. You recognise that music by now, don't you? Yes, it is the intro music for Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. It is time to tell you about the show and if you haven't been with us before, then welcome. New show, new day. You've joined a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people. People in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their decision-making and consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives, in our community, perhaps even in our businesses, and develop programs that found more sustainable, loving and heartfelt ways to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Now, today is the 11th of November. It's Armistice. It's the 100-year anniversary of Armistice Day. At the 11th hour, on the 11th day of the 11th month, we stop to remember. It was on this day that the Germans signed the Armistice Agreement, which led to their unconditional surrender. And the Armistice dictated that guns fell silent at the 11th hour. I'm going to be heading down after this to Hornsby Cenotaph to... Uh, pay my respects to the Hornsby RSL sub-branch who are hosting a service down there at 11. And I really do hope that if you can, you'll you'll join us or you'll just take a moment to consider, just to consider what others have done um, in the past and hopefully uh, try and make sure we don't go there again. I was walking through a school last week and just saw the playfulness and the connection between hundreds of students doing cadets, males, females. Um, They were all about 16, 17, maybe some who were 18, some who'd gone on and had come back and were leaders of those, um, I don't know what they call them, platoons. I don't know. I've never done cadets, never had anything to do with cadets, so I know so little about it. But I felt a pang inside me at the prospect of what it must have looked like more than 100 years ago when they were being called up, when they were having to go through their training and when so many underage boys tried to sign up because they felt that it was their duty and they weren't enough of a man, you know, if they didn't. And those who physically weren't able to or psychologically weren't able to go were, were definitely painted as, as less in their communities. At 11am, it's an opportunity, I guess, to stop and to remember and to hopefully learn so we never repeat the choices, the movements or the behaviour that led to millions of people dying. Now, my show today is... Um, is about a local organisation. It's about teamwork. It's about following your heart when you know that something's not quite right, acting on it. It's a show about an organisation who help hundreds, millions of people. Started by two mates who wanted to shake things up a bit in the technology world. We're going to hear about small companies taking on giants. Today, we are going to hear from the movers and shakers to set up and work for the not-for-profit platform Humanitics. First up is Joshua Rosser, director and co-founder. Welcome to Stay in the Loop with Lucy, Josh. 
Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having us. You are most welcome. Now, um, you're setting the scene for the other two. We've got Adam, uh, who's your co-director and co-founder, and then James Humpherson, who who came in and is your chief operating officer. That right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, I thought really before we go anywhere, we should really get a picture of of each of you and what you bring to. Um, your company and why you even started it. So what were you like as a young boy and growing young adult? What mattered to you? Hey, yeah, sure. Um, growing up, I grew up here in Sydney, St. Ives. Um, my parents immigrated from South Africa about 40 years ago now. And in terms of the type of kid I was, I was very naughty. Um, I had a few learning difficulties when I was in primary school particularly around speech and writing. And I think that fed into me being quite naughty and misbehaving. So I actually um, got asked to leave my primary school and <laughs> got suspended twice in high school. But I was always quite academic and I, I used to get a bit bored at school. Um, and by 11 and 12, I kind of straightened out and was actually quite a high achiever. But the first, up until year 10, I, I was very naughty and caused my parents quite a bit of grief but um wow good on you for turning that around (laughs) yeah so um and then but growing up I also my my parents coming from South Africa um and I learned all about the apartheid and the system over there and just how unfair it was Hmm. and so my I had an interesting two sides of the family the, the, the one side they weren't actively um pushing the apartheid, but they were fine in that system. They weren't actively protesting or anything like that. And the other side of my parents were very against it and were protesting and had issues with the police. And a big reason both my parents, um, my parents were aligned, they were very against it. Um, the big reason they came to Australia was because they didn't want to raise a family in that system and they couldn't do anything to change it. They couldn't, they couldn't solve it. Um, so that was always a big um factor on my ethics and my morals and growing up in Sydney, Australia, I realized, and this is something I share with Adam who, you know, I had a lot of conversations with about this type of stuff because we've been best friends for 11 years, um, that they're very much shaped what I wanted to do with my life. So when I graduated, I wanted to study law and I studied finance and a big part of the law was because if you don't understand your rights, the system you're in, you, you're um, in some ways less uh, more powerless to to change things, mm. and so there was always that angle in my mind of you know um, it's something to aspire to to make the world a better place, and and yeah, so that that's for, and then the other factor would be that um I grew up in a in a somewhat religious household, I'm pretty secular myself, but and um and while I'm not a big pusher of organised religions at all, I think there is definitely one of the positives of organized religions is that they very much encourage charitable giving mm. um and so that was also a part of my upbringing i think that's but all those factors have been quite influential in in creating humanities with adam yeah and i can also hear that there was a young boy who before he got to year 10 he was really expressive and actually he knew that something wasn't right he just didn't have the language or the uh, communication skills that did anything other than come across as dysfunctional, whereas you seem to learn how to work the system from year 10 onwards? Yeah, I think it was it coincided with the change in school. Yeah. Um, and I just felt a bit more comfortable. Mm. Um, 
yeah so it was interesting yeah but, so um when you when you met adam were you both working or were you at school and then went to work and then were looking to to um where did i guess where did humanities humanities come from where did the seed get sown yeah, sure. Um, me and Adam knew each other in high school, but he was in the year above, and we only became proper friends after high school. Um, the seed for humanities was sowed uh, about nine years ago. So um, I went over to Sri Lanka um, backpacking for about three months in a uni break, and Adam came and met me for about half of that time. And while we were over there, we were doing quite a bit of surfing and hiking, and we just had a lot of time to chat, as you do when you're hiking. Um, and we were talking about, and, and we were coming back to Sydney where we were both in the next 12 months, roughly, finishing our degrees and joining the workforce. We were both very conscious of, um, you know, he had an engineering and maths degree, I had a, a, a commerce, and I was doing law at the time, but I, I came back and actually stopped doing the law degree. Um and we were very conscious that we were going to go into a corporate career that wasn't going to give us what we dreamt of in life. Um, and that can be easily become a trap, especially if you have a family and kids and then you really need to earn a high income in Sydney because um, it's just so expensive. Mm. And so we were strategizing how you'd get out of that. We were saying, like, how do we not fall into that trap? Um, because it, we're quite ambitious. We were, knew we'd be working 60, 80-hour weeks and that uh, over for the next 40 years probably and that if – we were working on something we weren't truly, you know, that's more time than you get to spend with your family and kids yeah. um, throughout your life or your friends. So if it's not something we really care about, then to us it sounds harsh, but maybe we're wasting our lives. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought, you know, we're not unique in that. Like I think a lot of people have that yearning, but why do so many people then not, not act on it? And we realized it's the fear of loneliness. So the idea of um, stepping away from a conventional career path especially in the culture we've grown up in, um, it's you, you're going to be on your own. And so how do we get around that? We, we said, look, we don't know what, what the idea is yet. We're not going to just go and do something without an idea. So let's do our careers and save some money and, and build a network. But um, let's make a promise to each other that when we come up with a good idea, we'll support each other to do it. Um, if we can negate that fear of loneliness, then we're a much better chance of breaking out of that mold. Mm. And so we actually made a promise to each other. And that was the seed that allowed us to do humanities because that's exactly how it played out about five years later. Amazing. I, I love what you've touched on here because we've got International Men's Day coming up. It's very, I'm, I'm really inspired by what you shared that a lot of men feel the pressure to provide and to have that high income and that there's a part of them that that may feel like they're sacrificing what they would love to do and what they feel their purpose is in life in order to keep the lifestyle or have any kind of lifestyle here at living in Sydney. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's definitely a factor for most young men, the vast majority, I'd say. Yeah, and you know, some people uh, will squash that, and and others will say, actually, no, I need to find a way to to combine the two. Which clearly you and Adam have. That's fantastic. Were were there any um, tests to your friendships? Um, as in times where we almost fell apart, or as in well, um... in the sense that starting a new business, you're 
uh, were you both always on the same page? Because, I mean, I've heard your story um, through the women's shelter event, and I I understand that you split one of the wages, which is like a marriage. So it's it, I sort of feel you've been in a bit of a marriage together, and marriages have tests as we have different pictures and trying to live without those pictures but be responsive to each other is something that, you know, I always find quite interesting. Yeah, we joke about that, actually. We've lived together, we've travelled together, we've worked together, we've shared a salary, we've pretty much done everything short of marriage now. Yeah. Um, and, it, ha- I mean, so there's two elements. One is, yeah, so the first 18 months of Humanities, I had to stay in my job. Adam went full-time on Humanitics. I'd work weeknights and weekends with him, and we shared my salary for about 18 months. And to most people, that shocks them, and, and they assume that there must have been some tensions there. But I can tell you honestly, there weren't. Um, amazing. That was actually the most amazing thing in the journey to date, that yeah. we went through that without a, a blink of animosity or anything like that. Yeah. Um, the other interesting element, which is quite unique, is that what me and Adam have started here while we're a social enterprise and we compete with companies, um, we it's actually a, a registered charity like the Women's Community Shelter, so there's no ownership. So me and Adam, while we started it, we don't own any of Humanitics. And I think that gets rid of a lot of the reasons why founders would fight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ownership is such a contentious thing, especially if maybe month to month you're not 50-50 on effort and contribution. Um, you know, naturally those things fluctuate. But when there's no ownership, there's a lot less to fight about. Um, and if your intentions are both just to grow this organisation, then it's it's a bit more clear. So yeah, we've our friendship's stronger than ever. Yesterday we had a first day off for a while. Um, we decided to celebrate. We went into Bob and Head and did a four-hour bushwalk together, and then cooked dinner. And you'd think we'd be sick of each other because we spent all day together at work. But um, it's it's really nice. It's actually been the best part of the journeys. We've we've always said, you know, if this risks our friendship, we'll step back from it. Yeah. But um, it's made us stronger so far. I didn't realise it was a charity. So you are a charity raising money for other charities. I mean, that's I've I've noticed that some charities are very insular in in what they you know that they're worried that someone else is going to come on their patch and take their their money. But you don't do that. You are saying that we all work as a team. Here, have some of my money. Yeah, we, um, me and Adam worked for free, and that was the only way we were able to give to other charities at the start before we could even pay ourselves salaries. Yeah. So um, uh, there's a few things we're trying to do with Humanitics. Um, the core thing we're trying to do is improve um, accessibility at events for people with vision impairments, hearing impairments, etc. They, they have a really tough time going to events. It's the number one problem in Australia reported by people with disabilities is around community participation community participation mm. and social inclusion. Um, we realised that to solve that problem, you actually have to be the ticketing platform because it's the only thing core to events and event organisers are way too busy to to worry about accessibility um, for 90% of them because they're stressed out, time poor, and, and it may not be core to what they do. Yeah. Um, and the second thing we do, which is arguably the more powerful thing that people recognise we do, is being the ticketing platform to solve that problem, you generate booking fees because that's the nature of the industry. Mm-hmm. And that's a highly lucrative industry. So what do you do with the profits of those booking fees as a charity? Well, we said, well, we'll retain some of it to cover our costs. So at scale, we don't need philanthropists to help us. But um, we're going to give the profits of those booking fees to, well, what should we give them to? And then me and Adam had this um, discussion three years ago at the start, like, well, what, what, what most needs to be funded? And 
And we weren't sure. And so we said, all right, well, let's democratize the giving and let our clients choose from a list of 30 charities. Um, let's try and find the best charities in their verticals. Um, so for that example, with women's community shelters, we think they're the best model for um, providing domestic violence shelters. It's a really cool model that they've worked out to to deal with the fact that funding's been cut for the industry over the last decade. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're, and, and why we're so excited by that is... Um, as a, if, if we can take, you know, 10% of market share in the ticketing industry, we'll be giving tens of millions of dollars to these partner charities. And one of the biggest problems charities have is that their management team spend half their time fundraising instead of fixing the problem because they don't have a consistent um, donation stream. And so if we can, out of ticketing, create an annuity-like donation stream into them, mm -hmm. then maybe someone like Annabelle Daniels would be able to spend 100% of her time just focusing on solving domestic violence. And then we'd have a much better chance of fixing that problem. That's not anything wrong with women's community shelters or any of our other partner charities. That's just the nature of the charity sector. Yeah, yeah, the is. management have to fundraise, mm. especially the bigger they get. It eats up more of their time. Mm. And so that's pretty exciting. At the moment, we're working out because there's been issues with having 30 partner charities and democratizing the giving. It hasn't worked how we thought it would. So we might be changing that up soon and, and still giving some choice, but really nailing down to just a few charities. But we're still working that out with our board. But that's been the thinking behind it. Amazing. And uh, that, that ability to recognize where something isn't working and come back to the table and go, okay, so that, that the equity wasn't what we thought it would be. It, it isn't working in the way that we thought it would. Let's come back to the table and, and rethink. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Adam are both pretty, um, neither of us are religious about anything in humanities. We just want to do what will work and what will make the scale and drive the most impact. Um. I also like the fact that you've taken a lot of the pressure off the people. You've thought about the process of organising an event. And I know that um, you work a lot with the women's shelters and, and, the, and the work that they do. And so you're international as well, aren't you? So people from overseas can use your platform. Is that right? We've just gone into New Zealand and we're hoping to go into the US next year. But yeah, we are technically international now, but I'd say still barely international. But it's a big part of what we're going to try and do drive over the next two years. Yeah. Very, very impressive in terms of, you know, if you can take that model that's giving back, um, I guess you've, you've then got to find local charities as well. It, it's not so easy just to open the platform. Like the web just looks like it can just do everything really simply. You've actually got to think mm. through the consequences of that on the business model, don't you? Yeah, 100%. You also need support staff. So event organisers have issues, events fall over. Um, there's a real cost base to, to servicing a market in ticketing mm. and without investors we've got to move a bit slower in, in, in doing that um the you know the first 18 months of humanities was just me and adam mm. um and we no one gave us any money so we were self-funding it um now that's changed completely we've got some great support from atlassian and google and a bunch of philanthropists but we still are cash strapped yes. <laughs> yeah yeah it's very hard it, you know when you're a, a for-profit success breeds more investment capital but when you're a charity success doesn't necessarily mean you get more capital <laughs> so it's hard yeah look thank you so much joshua i really appreciate you taking the time on a sunday morning to to get out of bed early and talk to us 
Um, I look forward to following. I use Humanitics in everything I do, so I just yeah, hopefully we'll just encourage others to do the same. No, thank you so much for the support. And you mentioned before that, um, you know, we've done a lot to help the shelters. We we feel like we've done a little bit. Um, Sally Ann at Hornsby in particular has actually done a lot for us, so we're super grateful to them. Well, thank it, you it, well it just shows, doesn't it? It's a two-way street. Sally Ann, I mean, what a wonderful woman and is able to um, share her experience uh, with you and then you can share your experience with her. It's that teamwork that just doesn't stay in the border of the company or the organisation or the charity that you're working with. Mm, no, thank you. Yeah. Till next time, Joshua, thank you so much. Cheers, Lucy. Thanks again. This morning we are going up close and personal with Humanitics. I've been talking to Joshua Ross, um, who is one of the co-founders and a director. And next I have with me Adam McCurdy. Welcome to Triple H. Hi, thank you, Lucy. Humanitics is a registered charity. That really surprised me, bearing in mind how much I know that you're very generous with other charities. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we, we realised that, you know, having a model where we're, we're looking to redistribute the billions of dollars in booking fees generated by the ticketing industry, that being a registered charity means that we don't have any shareholders uh, that we need to pay our profits to. And that really enables us to redistribute 100% of our profits um, to our charitable projects that we team up with our other charities to implement. Very clever and and just a whole different model, I think, to a model that I was expecting. Now, the other thing that um, we always start this segment is, is can you give us a picture of you as a young boy and a growing young adult and what mattered to you so we can get a shape of how you have ended up choosing this platform and this, this way of doing business? Yeah, sure. I, I grew up uh, here in the North Shore of Sydney and... Um, I was you know, just kind of a regular kid, enjoyed playing cricket and um, soccer in the winter, and uh, was always a, a fan of the maths and sciences and building projects. Um, my grandpa, particularly, was a very good engineer. Used to spend a lot of time with him building everything from race cars to you know, little remote control planes and whatnot, and um, always enjoyed building things. And so I ended up studying engineering and mathematics at university um, and, and slowly kind of found my way towards wanting to, I guess, apply building product and, and engineering with um, ultimately making a meaningful contribution in the world. Um, I saw my grandpa have a very uh, good um, contribution to the world through engineering and so I, I thought, I always saw that as, as just something really, really awesome to aspire to. He's left his footprint and clearly that's that that is something as you say you can then stand on that and people other people can stand on that we offer <laughs> yeah um and so would you say he was one of your strongest role models oh absolutely probably the strongest role model uh, absolutely what are the qualities that you find in that mentoring role modeling relationship that are important i uh, just uh i found a just a genuine willingness to share information not to not not to keep it a secret. Um, and to, like with everything, there's, there's, typi- there's typically a few tips and tricks to um, understanding a concept or or a craft or something. And um, it just really helps when somebody can just cut through the noise and, and just 
kind of give you a little bit of guidance to, to show you what, what's worth focusing on. Do each of you, so in your organization of humanities, do you, have you found that you've both got different strengths? Um, absolutely. So when Josh and I, Josh is a, my co-founder, as you, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, he, he came from a very strong finance background um, and was doing very well in fund management um, here in Australia before, before joining Humanitics and, and starting the, the company with me. Um, and, and, yeah, I guess that, that really proved to be a really nice combination where me coming from a bit more of a product background and Josh coming from more of a finance background and James, who, who joined us, who I think he'll be chatting with a bit later, um, joined us, it was the first one to join Josh and I, um, has very strong operational skills. Um, and that, that just proved to be a really nice, nice combination. And then the, the first, uh, after that came our CTO, our chief technology officer that we really then teamed up with to, to dramatically enhance the product and make a very, very good ticketing software. And that was, that's absolutely critical to have that diversity of skills. Yes, I know I've used the ticketing system a number of times on a, on different projects and in different ways and <coughs> even had Mandy Taylor from the uh, Hornsby Chamber of Commerce work with us to try and sell raffle tickets through it, which I actually didn't think was possible, but we did it, you know. It was, I, I love the way you have worked with the people who've used your platform to say, with that can-do attitude, how can we help? Or, not right now, but thank you. It will put it on the table as a, a possible development opportunity or idea. Yeah, well, the trick is to make it easy. Uh, Organisers of events are, are typically quite time poor or have a lot of balls to juggle. So the trick with our software was, how can we just make this really simple? Where it's just, you know, within five minutes you can be live selling tickets or raffle tickets or whatever you want to your um, festival or gala dinner or awards night or community event or conference and just making that really, really quick and simple and then, and then being able to see how ticket sales are going just mm. in a couple of clicks. Mm. That, was, that was really critical. Otherwise, people, people don't have time to, you know, learn a new technology or learn a new, you know, it's got to be intuitive and it's got to be easy to use and that's really what we focused on as well as obviously being the, the most ethical ticketing platform out there in the market with the with our charitable model which is really cool yes without a shadow of a doubt that charitable model is is extraordinary and funnily enough i think one of the questions i was going to ask is now a mute point because of that but i'll ask it so you can just uh put that to rest for anyone is there a uh, you know the balance between what the board want and what you want um, and between being a not-for-profit and the philanthropic investors, uh, is there a is there a, ever a um, a challenge with you no? Know, we've got to make money on this, or or is the thing that making money actually because then you've got more money to give to others? Yeah, so I mean we've we've been very lucky in that regard. Our board is absolutely phenomenal and have been instrumental to our success, particularly our chairman Ray Kellerman. Um, and so every one of our board members are, is, a, is a philanthropist that has contributed to, human, to humanities, expecting nothing in return. And um, that, that's just been amazing. Which and, is quite rare, isn't it? Because when you look at the Dragon's Den, they all want something in return, but <laughs> not right. here. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, it was. We turned. It, it turned out to be a very particular kind of person that you know was that thought that this is a fantastic idea, that this could do tremendous good in the world, and that being a charity, there's nothing to invest in, so they can't extract a return. Um, so, but but they loved the idea that that we can create a sustainable vehicle that can be doing millions of millions of dollars every single year towards ending global inequality and vastly improving accessibility at events and um they've all they've all jumped on board no pun intended mm. unintended and uh and and they've just been so supportive of us giving us that healthy uh sounding board and, and that healthy kind of questioning of, of what we're doing and, and where we're going um but philosophically around wanting to make big returns and big money out of this uh that's that's phenomenal. Everyone is just is completely aligned with with the with the genuine philanthropic effort that this is. I also love that you have made the system quite a simple one to use, uh, because I think when you you have hit the nail on the head when you're organising events, which I do a fair bit, you actually haven't got much time to do the ticketing side of things and you really want your hand to be held through it and it's very intuitive you you've got your the system that you have for setting it up makes logical sense for the next step you need this and the next step you need that and where are you going to get that from and where are you going to send those people to and how can they find the address and you know it it just is I think that that's the thing that puts most people off considering changing from one of the other big organizations mm. yeah that's right having that really nice step-by-step process that just, just guides you in, into what you need and you're ready to go if you want later on there's more advanced features if you're putting on a you know super fancy multi-day conference with where you want access codes or discount codes or affiliate tracking all that fancy stuff but it's kind of nicely segmented that if you're not if you're not looking for those sophisticated features, it's not, it doesn't over, overcomplicate more simple events as well. Mm. Uh, that was that was really important that we that we kind of cater for a, a more a, sm- a more everyday smaller event for maybe you know 50 to 100 people or even 10 people, and then obviously giving that robustness for a five, ten, fifty thousand person festival or conference. Yeah. Um- there's also a bit of an illusion around doing good and charity. I'd love to bust that with you. Um, the the whole thing that you you actually don't deserve to uh, money or you shouldn't be earning money. That isn't the case with you, is it? But you must have come across organisations and charities that you've worked with or that have wanted to be on your platform. Can you talk a little to that? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, again, that's that's why we registered ourselves as a charity. So. And that's why the philanthropists and our, and our board members, who are all our philanthropists, are so excited by what we're doing. By this this vehicle, which is ticketing, we we retain a portion of the fee just to simply cover our costs, and that's really exciting to a philanthropist because they say, "Wow, I can donate to this," and as this as this ticketing platform grows, it can be completely self-funding, meaning humanitics at scale doesn't have to have its hand out asking philanthropists for more money mm-hmm. because other, otherwise that, that wouldn't work. The whole concept is that at scale, Humanitics doesn't have its handout to philanthropists asking for money to fund, to fund the initiative and at the same time is spitting out tens of millions of dollars towards ending global inequality. And we have a, 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 a really awesome focus on, on 
thousands of charity partners that we work with to do that. So an organizer who's using our software would simply say, is asked to choose from one of our charitable projects and and, and then as a result, we donate 100% of the booking fees to that, to that charity of choice. But what's really nice is that we've made the whole process really, really transparent. So as you as an organizer is, are selling tickets on your dashboard, you can see exactly how much money we've donated uh, as a result of, of being the ticketing platform from the booking fees that would otherwise just be going off to you know, one of the other players. Yeah. Uh, and that that transparency, I think, has really meant a lot to organisers um, because it's just it, it's just so clear, as clear as day on your dashboard as you're selling tickets live in real time, and that becomes valuable to organisers because they're able to midway through sales jump on their social media or jump on email and tell everyone what their event has achieved so far in regards to social impact. Yes, and that's really valuable to organisers, and we're happy to give that. Uh, credit to the organizers because they're the one who put on the event. They're the one that decided to use Humanitics and, and they're the one that chose this particular charity to support, um, you know, with our booking fees. So by all means, take credit for it and tell everyone how your event has made an impact and changed the world. We think that's that's just been a really awesome outcome of this, giving, yeah. giving greater value to organizers as well from the social impact. Yes, one person at a time. We can all, each of us, make a difference. Mm. Um, can you give a, an example? I know that Joshua was just suggesting that the equity of um, you know the organisations you were hoping to give back to that having so many has made it a little harder. Do you do you find that there are some that are more uh, are popular than others? And and what what is the attraction of the ones that you're finding are most popular? I can imagine the the um, community women's shelters is one of them. Yep. Yeah, Women's Community Shelters is certainly one of them. Oz Harvest is very popular. Um, but you know what, what, what? Another thing that we found is that organisers are more and more kind of asking us. You know, what are you know what are what are some of the what are some of the better charities? Um, because people often don't have time to be researching charities and researching what the best choice is. You know, there's lots of amazing charities here in Australia um, and around the world, and. I mean, I think in, in Australia we've got something like 50,000 charities, um, which is awesome. But from our perspective, we've got to be, we've got to be, become more and more, I guess, focused. It, we can't just be donating to every one of the 50,000 charities across Australia. So mm. that's where we've worked very closely with the Atlassian Foundation, as well as the Centre for Social Impact, based out of UNSW, to work to refine our impact model that we can have a. Um, develop a much more clearer focus and attention to measuring what the impact is that we're creating through the redistribution of our booking fees and doing a better job of communicating that to our organisers so so that we can ensure that the, the redistribution of fees is meaningful and tangible. Um, that, that to us is kind of the most important aspect of what we're doing. And we notice organisers look to us a lot to, you know, to, uh, to ask us to inform them about, you know, the various causes out there and, and what we're focused on doing and how we're ho- focused on changing the world and why we've taken that approach. So um, we're, we're teaming up with some great partners to continually get better at that, which is, which is really exciting. And it's so, so great to see them jump on board. And now most recently Google has 
has jumped on board as a, as a big supporter of, of Humanitics and we'll be working closely with them as well. Yes, hello. Let's talk about that amazing um, award that you just got given. <laughs> yeah, so we were uh, a part of the Google Impact Challenge, which is a, a competition that travels around the world uh, through Google. And it was here in Australia this year. And we were named a top 10 finalist in the in the challenge, which was very exciting. And so last week, that that whole challenge culminated in a in, a, in an event where the, all the top ten uh, projects pitched to a panel of judges, people from Alan Finkel to Morris Yammer and uh, Julian uh, Jacqueline Fuller, the head of Google dot org Global. And it was a, it was a fantastic event. And then the judges decided who who the winners were out of the top ten, and we were. We were named as a winner, which was phenomenal, and that means we've just now received a million dollars in funding from Google and in-kind resources from their from their technical staff, and uh, that's going to just be amazing. That's, yeah, uh, for that's us. very valuable. Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you, thank you. It's incredibly exciting. Now we're we're um, about to go to a little bit of a break, and we're going to have. Um, you know, we're going to have James after the break. Do you want to do his intro for him? How would you describe this man? Our, our saviour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, whenever you have some harebrained idea that you're starting out, everyone thinks you're, you're nuts and this, this ain't going to work. And the people that make the idea work at the end are the first people that join you. And James was the first person to to make serious sacrifices because at the time Josh and I were volunteering and he said, this is a fantastic idea. I believe in this vision and I want to come and, and join this. And that's, that, that's huge because that's why, ideas, um, that's why ideas flourish because of people like James who, 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 who see a good idea and, and then come in to, to support it and make it, make it happen. Amazing. Thank you so much. I look forward to um, supporting you and seeing what comes. Uh, keep us keep us across it. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you too. Yes, um, we'll see you soon. Uh, see you, uh, obviously, on our online platform because Google will now be giving us all of your details every time we go on there, Adam. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, uh, thank you for supporting us to have such amazing community events in such simple, productive ways. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been great. I've been talking to the two founders of Humanitics this morning, um, Adam McCurdy and Joshua Ross. About to call him Josh. That was a bit over-familiar of me, wasn't it now? Um, Adam had been introducing James as the saviour, the saviour, no less, <laughs> of Humanitics. So I'm looking, I'm understanding that there comes a point when you're setting up a business that the business slightly outgrows the founders and you need someone to help you get your ideas and your wish list into a practical um, a practical solution. And I'm gathering, James, this is your role as head of operations. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, obviously, an extremely kind introduction from uh, from Adam there <laughs> as the saviour. But yeah, correct. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's obviously been a really fascinating time on the humanities journey. It's obviously, transitioning humanities from what was a PowerPoint presentation to then 
testing the market, getting validation, and then obviously building the processes to to start to scale it um, and and operate at a larger at a larger scale. So um, yeah, that's sort of been what my job entails currently. And I guess it's not losing the integrity that that has been founded by Adam and Joshua initially. But at the same time, as we've talked about with both of them this morning, not apologising for that for the fact that it we want it to earn money and we want to um, we we want it to be ethical in the business rather than just taking your money and lining someone's pockets. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's the 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 significant value of the model is that you know we we grew up on the northern beaches. I myself grew up on the beaches as well. And, you know, it's expensive to live in Sydney and to live in Australia. Um, and so if we can have the best of both worlds where we can feed ourselves and, and shelter ourselves as well as then contribute significantly to society, then it, it makes all the sense in the world. So let's wind back the years, James. Tell me a little bit about, like, how you grew up and what, what made you, I guess, into the, to the man that could spot that idea and was prepared to say, you know what, I'm going to be part of this project and support them to get their idea off the ground? Yeah, um, a bit of an interesting one. So, um, yeah, obviously I've, I've spent my entire life living on the northern beaches of Sydney. Um, so my family, I mean, we're not, we're not extremely wealthy, but, but definitely comfortable um, relative to how a lot of other people would live their lives in the rest of the world and so what that afforded us was the ability to travel throughout my upbringing so you know we, we would do regular trips throughout Europe and the States and, and Asia and um, those sort of experiences of, of seeing other cultures, seeing how other people live that sort of fostered that interest in, in more of a global perspective and um, so throughout my university education you know, I spent a lot of time again throughout Asia um, you know, I travelled extensively throughout South America as well, did micro microfinance projects in the Philippines. And um, I think when you see the, the inequality and you see the people that are living in these conditions with next to nothing, um, but then you also see how happy some of these individuals are. Um, you come back to Sydney and you come back to the Northern Beaches and it's sort of juxtaposed against you know, how much we have in our society, yet how much unhappiness there also is. Mm. And so for me, I guess that it, that's when the coin dropped on that, you know, wealth doesn't doesn't equal happiness and you can have, you know, next to nothing and be surviving and be extremely happy and you can have all of the resources in the world and still be unhappy. So for me, that that, that was sort of a strong driving point to be like, well, if, if wealth is not going to equate to happiness, then what is going to lead to my happiness? Um, and what is going to lead to that fulfillment. So that sort of kick-started that journey um, and made me started to, to seek out other like-minded people that, that felt the same way and had that same vision. It's such a good quote, that wealth does not equate to happiness, because I think a lot of... Uh, Josh, right at the start, brought up a, a dilemma the dilemma of knowing that if you you know you want to have a family and you want to live on the north shore it's going to cost a certain amount of money to do that and very often your your plan of what you would love to do and and the things that you would like to to work on in life sometimes don't pay the money that it needs to be able to live in in the north of sydney mm. on the north shore of sydney but 
the moment you don't look and find a way to do it, you you kill a little something in you or you squash a little something in you that just actually bubbles underneath the surface. So you may have all the money that you want, but you're not living from your heart. It's like you're not honoring yourself, which is by the sounds of things, everything that you've just shared. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think the, the biggest challenge is just taking that unconventional path. I mean, it, it's always, it's historically, it, it looks to be, you know, a, a constant trade-off between, as you said, doing something that you're passionate about and then doing something that pays the bills. Um, but I think I think it just takes that, uh, I guess, that, yeah, that little bit of extra confidence or taking that chance and a risk at a, a point in your life mm. um, where, you know, I, I I live on the Northern Beaches. I'm still back home with my family at the moment to, to get humanity off the ground still. Yeah. And I know that you know, if everything um, fell apart and I was in debt, um, you know, stay at home, you know, I've got an education, I can just begin to slowly rebuild. So there's always going to be that, that buffer zone for myself. Yes. So I think, I think we're extremely lucky to, to have grown up in an affluent area um, with a, a network and a community that can support us if everything does go down the drain. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think without that it would be very challenging to try and take an unconventional path. Mm, you've given me food for thought about uh, continuing to provide accommodation for my children and not just throw them out when they hit a certain age and tell them, come on, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, made... trust me, they've tried. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you've made me rethink about my plans of downsizing. I have to, I have to rethink that now, but <laughs> lovely. Um, now, have there been any challenges between what the boys have wanted and what you know is possible from an operations point of view? Um. In short, not 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 particularly. I think That's we're good. all very we're all very practical in terms of you know we might have these these fantastic ideas on you know how to give a, a ten out of ten customer experience and and how to scale how to get um, yeah how to get how to get reach on our clients and our customers, um, but but it always comes down to great what is like what is the easy practical things that we can do right now to get some of those easy wins. Um, so it's not so much as getting tied down in the details and trying to execute on these big, you know, blue sky ideas, but actually just what is what is practical and what can we implement now to get the, the biggest gains for the, the smallest amount of time and effort. Um, and I think that's what's been, I mean, that's what's so fascinating about the startup space and about working in such an early stage business is that you know, we're such an agile and lean team that you can quickly impl- implement solutions or, or trial new things, and it doesn't have to go through you know extensive processes with with that you would with a, a traditional you know large multinational organisation. Yes, um, and how good is that? Because they'll be kicking themselves for not having thought of this model. Um, but then they may have shareholders who would want, who would not be kicking them and saying, "Don't you, don't you look outside the box?" So that's mm. that. Hopefully, humanities can spread around the world and actually share the model and benefit others and more uh, from from using this model. Um, mm. How can organizations become one of your charities or is that changing now from your point of view yeah i think at, currently at the moment um the model that we have is that we have roughly 30 charity partners 
And so that ranges across a, a number of different causes, from Indigenous education um, to providing you know, meals to the homeless and meals to the hungry, um, to mental health organisations and, and a few other, other amazing causes. And while that's been fantastic to give organisers the ability to organise the community, give them the ability to, you know, support all of these fantastic causes, it does also prove challenging. Um, challenging in that the impact that we can create through the model is obviously diminished the more partners that we bring on because obviously funding has been um, spread across a, a larger number of organisations. Um, and also on our end, you know, there's 56,000 charities uh, registered here in Australia. Um, the admin nightmare of you know vetting charities, make sure they meet our mandate, make sure that um, we can support them and chasing up these garbages and such. It, it can pre- prove quite challenging. So as the new charities, um, at the moment we're looking at trying to build a solution where we can have organisers that, that want to support the amazing causes that they love and care about but then also trying to you know, refine it and, and figure out how we can have the most impact as an organisation and whether that looks like you know having yeah, additional charities over 30 or whether it's refining it to, to fewer charities, that the charities that are doing the most impactful work. It's sort of just been a... It's a real journey. It's a real process that we're sort of discussing and, and changing as we move forward. Amazing, James. So I'm going to leave it to you to um, share with us how we can access your website uh, and any top things we need to know for any organisers who would be wanting to use your platform tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. I mean, if you're interested to learn more, you can head to humanitics.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, just Humanitics, search Humanitics um, or send us an email at events at humanitics.com.au and yeah, it's just such a fantastic way to give back at no extra cost. So we're cheaper than the major providers like Eventbrite. Um, you know, we do not-for-profit pricing that matches try booking and it's, it's, a, it's a why not solution. Why would you not give your fees back to charity um, when the alternative is that fees are just going back to a for-profit enterprise? Exactly. And I always think that the part of what we've got to do is look at the people behind a company and behind an organisation. And that actually gives me an indication of whether or not I want to support it as well. You know what? And the three of you have given us a great picture of, again, it's a why not, because there really are very few barriers to the why too. No, thank you. Thank you. I mean, we can't thank you enough for your support also, helping us spread the word and I mean, if it wasn't for individuals like yourself and, and Josh and Adam, um, yeah, the world world would be a darker place. So we need all of us to band together and, and create impact because um, it's the only way we can all stick together and do so. Absolutely. Let's work as a team. Thank you so much, James. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And really we'll catch up soon. It. Thanks so much, Lucy. Thank you. So there you go, team, um, the end of uh, coming to the end of the show. But I really, really loved what all three of uh, the boys shared there. We had, you know, a really great point by Josh saying that if you don't understand your rights, you you lose the power. You, you There's less power to actually be the change that you want to see, to really engage that through fear of loneliness, we step away from, um, b- because of a fear of loneliness, we don't step away from a conventional career path. But, you know, there's something in that. 
that if you if you stay with convention and it isn't what you want then something isn't going to something's always going to be niggling at you and then adam just really helped us understand how that that the the difference in the perspectives that everybody brought the finance the product the operation skills and the blessing of transparency of working as a charity and not necessarily um, hiding what you're doing, letting everybody see um, how you can make money, sharing the generosity of saying, look, you want to share what your social impact is. This is how you can do it. And and making a site that can help you measure your impact by just using this ticketing system, which is a charity. Um, and I really liked the practical nature of James's big gains. What are the big gains with the small effort? So you blue sky everything. And then what are the low hanging fruit that, that really match what your ethics are, and what your ethos is, so that you can give a 10 out of 10 customer experience? Awesome. So, well, I am I am a big fan of Humanitics. I use it for all of the events that I run through YBU. So, needless to say, do the events through YBU, and then you benefit um, that benefit uh, or anyone that that I give my ticketing cost to. And um, pretty much most people in the Hornsby and Kurungai area do that now. But it works across the whole of Australia, and clearly is just launching in New Zealand. So. You international listeners, time to um, time to transfer. I would say. Now, um, moving on, what have we got coming up this week? Well, look, it's psychology. It's psychology week and perinatal anxiety and depression week. And we have our International Men's Day Hornsby Community Fund Day event, raising money for street work, which is a youth mentoring organisation on the weekend. So there is much to appreciate and consider about the impact we can have on our own and each other's lives when you think of those three areas. Communication and relationships are at the fore with those two things standing um, on a bedrock of love and honesty. Next week, uh, we will be at Hornsby Mall. I will be live no, in fact, I won't be live. The The radio station will be live. I might jump in and out through the day, but I will be running around like a blue-bottomed fly, I suspect, uh, organising and, and uh, holding along with Lana Sturmer and the rest of the team who have come on board to host this event. We're using the um, Interact Club uh, under the beautiful care of of Helen Clark at Knox, Knox Grammar, and they have all come on board. They've been working very hard to make sure that we can all work as a um, as a team to bring you an amazing community fun day next Sunday. We're going to have push carts. We're going to have performances. We're going to have a feel-good space where you can get massages. Um, you can do some information on uh, managing your finances, some mental health, some um, employment support. We've got uh, some uh, an organisation who built six of the carts for us, Trade Norwest. Um, they're a college and they have a, they run as a college from seven to year 12. So for kids who actually, or young people who want to go into the trades, they don't have to sit in a classroom and complete NAPLAN and all those other nonsense things. They actually start thinking practically um, ticking the boxes for how they can um, not uh, underestimate their 
their edu- their skills and their intelligence, but actually do it in a way that is more reflective of what their skills that they have that they want to bring to the world. So. Uh, I think probably we're going to have to go out on a little bit of uh, a little bit of music. We'll have Funky Fabulous coming up, which is by Rachel Kane and Benjamin Hurt. But don't forget that if you miss the show, you can listen via iTunes podcast, SoundCloud, Stitcher or TuneIn. I'll always do a, um, a Facebook post and I'll always let you know. So sign up to the Facebook page if you want to know that. And... At the end of any show, I just always say that it's pertinent to remind ourselves that what has or is happening in our lives, we are and always will be us. And that part of us that's so consistent is amazing. You know, we see, we know it as a baby, it just grows into an adult body. But it's that part that's amazing that we must remember to stay connected to so that we can learn to build a relationship with our body that holds that essence that tells us when something's not quite right, then we can seek support with the appropriate support service. Be that mental or physical health. It might be that you're in the wrong job or you want some help changing jobs or you want some help understanding why you feel that itchy feet. I just don't feel like I'm fulfilling my life's purpose. Whatever it may be, there are always people who can support and sharing is letting that support in and by listening and responding to our body obviously we can build the tools to address what we don't yet feel equipped to manage because chances are we have got the skills inside we just don't have the confidence to apply them so look for support in the community it is there time to open up to that support and learn to trust again that way we don't wait for life to come come to us we take ourselves to life and be the change we want to see in the world till next week's show be kind be caring be love be all of you you have been listening to stay in the loop with lucy on triple h 100.1 fm funky fabulous rachel kane and benjamin hurt 